Hello, everybody. Welcome to Therapy Dog Talk. My name is Sherry. My pups' names are Sunny and Riley, and each week we talk with different therapy dog teams and researchers around the world about the impact that they're making in their area. If you're just getting started or you're not sure where to get started, we have a free guide for you that you can find at freeguide.therapydogtalk.com. And we also have a community you can join at community.therapydogtalk.com. I am really excited to have Nicole Selby join us today. And I see her in the room, so we'll get her in here. Hi. Hello. How are you? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So, Nicole, for those who don't know you, would you like to introduce yourself and your pups? Really? My name is Nicole Selby. I am a wearer of many hats. So I have been involved with therapy dogs since I got my very own first dog of my own that was not my family's dog. That was when I was a teenager and I had trained him to be a search and rescue dog and then was looking for something else to do with him as well as that. And I found therapy dog work and we just fell in love with it. So I got started in that about 25-ish years ago, giving away my age a little bit. But I absolutely loved it. And over the years, I've had several dogs of my own that I have joined into that therapy dog work with and just seen the most amazing things happening with that. When I pursued a career, I got into the paramedic industry and I absolutely love it. I've been a paramedic now for the last 24 years and I still love it. I still enjoy it. It's the best job out there. You have to be the right person for it, but I love it. When I got that job, all of a sudden I had this exposure to a whole world of people that they needed connection. They needed our medicine that we can provide as paramedics. But there was a link in that missing, and we couldn't really complete the circle of medicine. As you know, through your dealings with all your community and the therapy dog work, there is a mental health component and a social connection and a whole world of neurological and psychological connections that happen when we bring in an animal into that setting. And so for me, trying to figure out how we could bring those two things together was something that has been a passion of mine for a really long time. We found a way to do that with the startup of community paramedicine, because putting a dog on an ambulance and having them be subjected to all the weird and wonderful and crazy things that we do as paramedics is not really ideal. It's not really fair to the dog. We don't have a way of protecting them well from all the safety hazards that we um, are exposed to. Humans can use PPE, personal protective equipment. It's very hard to do that with a dog effectively and not have them look like a space alien and have zero connection with that human that they're trying to now work with. So that was another thing that I was really excited to be able to figure out how to get that started. And then over the years, I've always worked with specially abled people and neurodiverse people, and I absolutely love working with people who are unique and have these really amazing ways of viewing the world and experiencing the world. One of my really fun things working with dogs and that community is that dogs are so pure. They're so 
focus on the person inside and they don't see any of those differences. And it is the most wholesome and heartwarming thing. And I love it. I got started working with kids as I was growing up in all different formats and finding a way to combine that with animal-assisted learning. We started my organization, Pages, Pens, and Paws, which is a children's literacy foundation, and it's specifically working with the animal-assisted connections and literacy learning, and it is the most fun thing ever. Yeah, so that's a little about me in a nutshell. There's lots more. Sure, we don't have time to cover all of it. So I'll let you take the reins back and tell me what you want to know. Yeah. Well, I think there's one hat you missed in there, which is how I came to know of you, which is that you're also an author. Yeah, I kind of settled into that one. <laughs> Therapy dog work really took a hit during COVID because everything was so socially restricted and physically restricted that finding a way to connect with people really became important. And I knew that we had all these amazing stories of things that had happened with the therapy dog teams over the years. And I really wanted to put those into a story format. Had no idea how to do it. Hadn't written a book before. And one day I come into contact with a couple of ladies that had written books, had some experience, and I mentioned my idea that I'd love to make these stories. How do I do it? How do I get started? And they put me in touch with a very special publisher, Pandemonium Publishing, who is just the most amazing company to work with. And they recognize the vision. They recognize what these stories were for, which was to talk about what therapy dog work is, how it happens, how it works, how it benefits people, and the special things that are happening, but in the perspective that a child can understand it. So it was really, really exciting and fun to begin that process with Pandemonium. And now the first two books in the series are out, and we use those in our Pages, Tons, and Paws programming, as well as a whole host of literacy content that my team of professionals helps us create. And we bring that to the schools and libraries and anywhere that we're hosting one of these events. Well, that's very cool. I know when I collaborated with Katie Barron on a list of books to share as therapy dog teams, Moxie Makes a Difference, one of your books, was one of her recommendations. I think how we first got connected. (laughs) Yeah, it's a small world out there, amazingly. Yeah. Neil says he made a movie over COVID about his therapy dog. He wrote a book. He loves your passion. He don't just do pet therapy. You live it. Absolutely do. It's literally infiltrated every aspect of my life, which is complicated and fun and amazing all at once. Luckily, I'm well used to multitasks and can handle all these different directions that I have to go and plan for and operate under it all at any given time. I love it. Nicole, do you have a dog of your own these days? I do have a dog of my own. Her name is Mika. She's a seven-year-old Weimariner, and she is an amazing dog. She had an unfortunate past where we were out walking, just a regular walk around town, and we had a loose dog come and attacked her from behind. So she never saw it coming. 
And the dog just came and grabbed onto her. So unfortunately, she's left with a lot of anxiety. And we call her our PTSD dog. It took us a long time to get her comfortable just to go for a walk again. So yeah, so it's unfortunate because she really has a lot of great tendencies. And I think she would have made an excellent working dog. But it's not in her cards anymore. And that's okay. And it's important for us to recognize which dogs might have that potential and which ones don't. We love them all the same. So that's my own personal dog. And then also living with us, I have Canine Tanner, who is our full-time facility dog that works with me as his full-time partner in the paramedic program. And he lives with us. He is owned and works under the paramedic services. And he is part of the Autism Dog Services service dog organization. He was provided by them. So um, that was his job placement where he was placed when he successfully finished the program. And he has just been an excellent addition to where we started with the paramedics on a pilot project with three dogs from the community, which kudos to those dogs who came from the community because they were just living their life. And then all of a sudden they got tried out for this brand new program and they absolutely have excelled. So a lot of training and time went into that to make sure that they were ready for the job. But Tanner was purpose-bred and built to be a working dog and he has absolutely excelled at the asks that we've given him in this role. I have very privileged to work with a lot of really fantastic, fabulous dogs over all the years and currently now as well. Yeah, and I know you alluded to it, but for those who aren't familiar, can you explain the difference between a facility dog and a therapy dog? Absolutely. It's important to know. And so a therapy dog is someone's pet and they are an excellent dog who has really great personality, great obedience and safety skills. They have a personality that is happy and wants to engage with other people. And lots of times people say, I have the best dog. They're so amazing. And they would be so perfect for this. And sometimes when they try out, they find out, okay, my dog really loves to provide those therapy dog services for me and my family. They're not so interested in doing it with the general public. That's really important for us as humans to recognize as well. Those dogs are amazing and they do such great work. And our therapy dog team that we work with here, kudos to them because they put in so much time and hours and they're driving themselves with their own gas money to get to all these places that they're visiting. And they bring so much joy and happiness to the people that they are working with. And so often you will see a therapy dog working in elderly retirement or nursing homes, hospitals, libraries, schools, a whole host of things. And one of the important differences is that we don't ask those dogs to perform in a working dog level. Most therapy dog organizations put on a one to two hour max limitation on the hours or the time that they go in working per day. And also the places that they go per day is usually limited at one place per day. The reason we do that is because it's really important to recognize 
they're not a working dog. They haven't been brought up in that environment to say be at work 12 hours a day. And we shouldn't have those same expectations. A lot of the times, most therapy dogs that I've worked with personally, and also the ones that are on our teams, at about an hour, they're fine. They've had enough. They love it. But by that time, they're ready for a break. They're ready to head home. And if we push past that, it can sour them on future visits or future enjoyment of the job. When we talk about a facility dog, which is what Tanner is, he is a fully certified service dog with all his papers and all of the things coming from a professional service dog agency. And the difference between him and a dog that's labeled as a true service dog is a service dog will only work with their one person usually. A facility dog has been tested and trained to that same level, but they are working with multiple people. So Tanner has been since eight weeks old when he was placed in the service dog program. He has been working his whole life in that role. His understanding of the world is that he has a job and when his vest is placed on, he is working. Tanner is two very different dogs, working versus non-working, which is another thing that really pulls them apart from, say, a therapy dog, which you will see that difference as well in a therapy dog. But when Tanner's vest goes on, he is now, he's serious Tanner. He is working. He will ignore all those other factors that he's supposed to ignore. And he will really focus and engage on what his job is. When his vest comes off, he is fancy and happy and being goofy, silly Tanner. And it's like us at the end of our workday. We're like, what is it? Let's. And every day after work, I have to take him over to the grass and he has a big goofy bouncy session where he rolls around and jumps and just it's absolutely silly but he works a full 12 hour day with me and gets built-in breaks and playtime and training time but that to him is normal he gets built-in days off into his schedule but when he's left at home he'll take that downtime but he would rather be working because that's what he knows so it's important for us to recognize those differences because we never want to push our dogs past something that they're comfortable doing. Yeah. Yeah. And facility dogs are owned by the facility rather than the individual too, correct? A little bit. A little bit. So it depends on where they work or where they're placed. I've also learned over the time frame of this process that I don't know that all facility dogs are the same. So some may be released earlier from a service dog agency that they're not meeting certain requirements and they would be released and given a facility dog role. Some make it all the way to the end of the process where their qualifications and their skills would match what they're requiring for a service dog. But the job that they're placed into is a facility dog role where they are working with more than one person. So there may be some differences in facility dogs. Yeah, Some facility dogs will, like you say, belong to a facility. So they are in that one place, that one building, and that's where they stay. Those are the people that they work with. Then we have something like Tanner, where Tanner is owned by the paramedic services. And so 
he goes wherever we go, but he doesn't stay in one place. Mm -hmm. So he's out and about in the world and he's in multiple facilities, multiple places, multiple types of situations. And so that could be more demanding than, say, a dog who works at a school and that becomes their norm versus Tanner will He'll go to the schools. He'll go to the paramedic bases. He'll go to the fire station, the police offices. When we do crisis response, he'll respond to an actual crisis. So it could be any place that we deem that he is needed. He also does community outreach. So part of our community paramedic programming is working with our community programs. And so that can be anything from our Alzheimer and dementia programs to our mental health and addictions programs. So our circumstances really are different depending on what we're scheduled to do that day and what things might come up during the day that we have to respond to. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nicole, you have so many different hats, like I said, so many experiences. So I'm going to let you choose your own adventure on this one, but is there a story that stands out to you as an example of why you enjoy doing this work in whichever one of those hats you would like to choose? Yeah, well, that's terribly tough. I know. I'm sorry. It's really hard question. And only because there are so many amazing stories that I would love to tell. There are so many on the therapy dog level and then now with the paramedic canine unit as well. And I think I'll talk about one of those only because it's so new. All the other stories are all amazing too, but it's so new and it doesn't exist anywhere yet. So we are the first ones to implement a fully integrated canine unit under the paramedic services. So the police services have that, the fire services have that. So the police are more with their enforcement and detection agencies. Uh, firefighting services have that a lot in their detection agencies, your arson docs, things like that. With paramedics, this has never existed. So we have seen things like station dogs or support dogs for the staff, but we've never seen a front face, forward facing canine unit that actually works with the public and with the patients and the programs that we have in place already. It's really exciting because it is a new tool, a new thing that we can use in modern medicine to actually help our medicine work better. That's really exciting because advancements in medicine are very slow to take place. I can give you an example. When insulin was first discovered and proven to work, it took 10 years for it to be put into the mainstream medical community. That means a family doctor would not be prescribing insulin until 10 years after it had actually been proven to work. So when we talk about advancements in the medical community, it's really exciting to find a new one that works, that is full in its theories and applications. It's complicated in its logistics to get it up and running and working, but the application of it is somewhat simple. And how that works is through the interaction with a dog, you suddenly change the neurological responses that are happening, the chemical responses that are happening in your body, and your new pathways are being opened and changed that allow your body to accept 
medical intervention in different ways. So for instance, we have a patient that we work with who has had a combination of stroke history and dementia history. Through that, the staff and family were unable to reach this person. They couldn't get to them, meaning that everything that they would try to do to bring this person out of being locked inside their head, they couldn't get any response. They would try physical therapy to get their body up and moving. And again, no response. And so this becomes a person that you would see in a nursing home that is locked in. We don't want that to happen because that's a terrible state to be living in. We want you to experience life to the fullest at whatever stage you're in. So when we started working with this person, the staff and family were not expecting a whole lot because everything else they had tried had had zero response. We came and we approached this person and unbelievably, the person sat up in their wheelchair, they reached for the dog and they started petting the dog. So now all of a sudden we have a fantastic physical response that they've been unable to get working prior to this. Whether that's because the neurological connections are not happening or because mental motivation was not there for that a task that was motivating enough to get that person to break through the difficulty, doesn't matter, it's working. The same person made direct eye contact with me and started speaking. Started speaking in logical sentences that I could understand and was verbally clear, which is another huge thing because we can attempt to make verbal connections, but it might not come out right. It might come out garbled or slurred, things like that. So for it to come out clearly, talking was a big deal. And then the third part of that was they started to ask me purposeful questions about the dog. So not only are we physically engaged, we're mentally engaged, and now we're neurologically processing and interacting in a back and forth manner, which is a massive change and something this family and the staff had not seen at any point, and they had not been able to achieve that. So from a medical standpoint, if we're looking at post-stroke recovery, dementia care, if we're looking at traumatic brain injuries that we're trying to help recover through those processes, when you bring in something like an animal, a lot of autonomous processes start to happen in the brain on a neurological level. And that's really exciting because these are things that we cannot do as humans with medicine ourselves. We can't apply a magic pill. We can't apply a magic therapy. We're incapable of doing it. And bringing that animal therapy into it all of a sudden opens up these new doors and new ways of recovery for these patients. We also see it happening with our neurologically diverse. I have clients that I work with who, from a very short time of exposure, are able to have lasting results up to even a month. My medical brain cannot tell you how that works. I have no good answers for that. But we are accessing neurological pathways and we are changing chemical responses within the brain. It's releasing those feel-good hormones. It's changing the way our body is able to process the world around us. So there's a lot of similarities between some of the things that we're doing 
that therapy dogs are also doing, which is really exciting because these things can happen whether you're in a job like mine and you're a medical professional or you're a volunteer and you're going with your therapy dog and you're visiting some people that have some of these deficiencies. So these things can happen no matter which person you are. The difference comes in that I am now taking on clientele who need that help, who need those connections. And we can now provide another avenue, another tool, and another social connection that they didn't previously have through their medical care. So that's really exciting. And we're really excited to bring that to the paramedicine community. And I know you have an upcoming presentation on that too, right? To help spread that word yeah. even further. Yes, part of that 10-year process. So <laughs> I've been invited in as a keynote speaker as a, at a medical conference. This is really exciting because now we're talking to the medical professionals about what we're seeing and what is happening in these experiences and how we're using this to affect our medical care. So it's one thing to talk amongst our peers on the therapy dog side of things, because a lot of us have seen that and we've known about it and we've experienced it maybe if you've been fortunate enough to see those things. But to bring it into the medical world and actually be able to apply it under the same standards and regulations that we expect from a medical standpoint under a professional career, if we're talking about the Ministry of Health, for instance, very stringent rules and guidelines. And we want to make sure that if we're bringing something into the medical community, that it's being handled and treated in the same fashion as anything else that we would bring in as a medical tool and be applied to this job. So that's really exciting to be able to be leading that change coming into the medical world. Yeah, that's very cool. Very, very cool. Nicole, do you have any advice for someone who's interested in getting started as a therapy dog? Absolutely. It's super fun and super rewarding. So if you're thinking about it and you think that you have a dog that might be suitable for that work, definitely check it out. One of the things that my handlers say to me is that they get just as much out of it as the people that they're going to see. So it is the most rewarding thing that you can be doing. And you're giving back, giving joy, you're giving love, and you're giving purpose to a lot of these people that you're seeing. So that's really exciting as a handler, as a such a rewarding thing to do. When you're looking at your dog and how to prepare them for something like that, I would say absolutely start as a puppy, if you have a puppy. Get them out and get them experiencing the world, but be careful to do it in a safe way that's not overwhelming. Going slow and steady with your exposures is so important. When you go too fast and you're trying to show them too much too soon, they end up getting scared and you go backwards. And sometimes it's hard to recover from. Dogs go through a few fear periods as they're growing up, and those exacerbate the things that they think are scary. And so if something scary happens during one of those fear periods, it can be a lot harder to recover from it. So if you notice that your dog is a little bit more shy, is a little bit more reactive to things, just take a step back and go slow. Let them show you, let them tell you when they're ready to move on. If you're working with an adult dog or a puppy, the best thing you can do is expose them to the world. So getting them out to 
different places where they can hear different noises, smell different smells, touch different textures. You would be really surprised at the amount of dogs who struggle to go from one type of flooring to another. So asking them to come across different flooring types, different textures out and about, those are all really important things. If you have access to an elevator, get them used to it early. Elevators can be a bit tricky. Some take to it right away with no problem and others, it's a really big scary issue for them. If your dog is capable of doing stairs, that's great, but maybe they're not. So an elevator can be a really great tool to find access to in a dog-friendly place that you can use to help them get used to that. The other thing I really like to teach my handlers is to not allow their dogs to just always go up to people without a command. Because some people are intimidated. Some people have allergies. Some people really love dogs, but they just want to watch them. They don't want to touch them. So it's important to recognize that not everybody has the same wants and interests. So I like to teach my dogs a visit of go say hi or go visit. And if you use a word that sort of naturally flows into the conversation, it doesn't seem so awkward and weird. So I like the go say hi or go visit also works. It depends on the situation. And that's a really nice one because they will stand at your side and wait until you say go say And then they know, okay, that's it. I've been given the command, jump in and go say hello. Another one is always teach your dog. If you're going to allow your dog to receive treats, always teach your dog to take it on an open flat hand. This is what I mean by open flat and not this. People instinctively want to give your dog a treat this way. And this is hard for cheat to just kind of take a little extra nibble. Some dogs are incredibly gentle. Some start off gentle and then they get a little excited and it's just a little too nibbly. So always teach your dog to wait for an open hand. What else can I tell you? There's so much. I also like to teach my dogs some sort of command of yes to engage and also to hold. Sometimes if there's a lot happening and I want my dog to ignore the action for a minute, picture we're in a classroom, we're surrounded by kindergartners and we're doing a reading class. I know that this is a really busy environment and a really challenging environment. So I don't want my dog wiggling to go say hi to each of those children without me giving that command to go visit each of those children. So when I ask them to hold or to stay, I want them to hold in that position. Lots of times that means I want you to hold and I want you to stay focused on me. And I don't want you swinging to look at other people that you're around. A lot of that is really just a safety thing. So if I can see it's getting a little intense and I'm going to give the teacher a minute to bring those kids and rein them back in, I'm going to ask that dog to hold and look at me so that I can make sure that their focus is on me and not getting distracted by what's happening around them. I also like to do, with kids especially, is when we go into a large kid environment, and again, a classroom is a great example, I don't like to let the kids rush the dog. It can be very overwhelming for them. And what I like to do is have the dog come in, have the kids all sitting in a circle. And I like to ask them to stay still and let the dog come to say hello. Before I even go into that circle, I will ask 
if there's any kids who don't want to say hi to the dog, it gives them an opportunity to take a step back out of the circle so that they can still watch and feel included, but also not feel intimidated as the dog comes around the circle to say hello. So that I find really, really effective. And it keeps some of those kids who are a little bit not so sure, or maybe they had a bad experience in past, it allows them to not have it all at once. And they can sort of judge for themselves how to approach that, whether they feel that dog is calm enough, soft enough, whatever it may be that they're not intimidated and can join back in the circle on their own. And like Betty framed that, just ask them if they don't want to say hi. Like there's so many reasons why they might not want to say hi, but they don't have to identify them. They can just be able to learn a really healthy example of consent. And if you don't want to head of the dog, you don't have to. It's okay. Right. Exactly. I guess the last one I would say is a pause up command. And you have to be really careful for this. So this, you really need to know your dog. So if your dog can handle a gentle pause up, to a surface, not to a lap, not to a part of a person. For instance, sometimes I will use a pause-up command for a dog that somebody's having a little bit of difficulty reaching. So maybe they're in a wheelchair, maybe they're in a hospital bed. I will use a pause-up command, but it has to be well applied. If your dog can't do it gently and they can't do it slowly and they can't go to the specified location that you're pointing to, It's not something you want to use because the risk of having a scratch or an injury is too high. One of the things I teach is the pause up and I will go to the foot placement on a wheelchair. So that allows them to get a little bit closer. The person's feet will go to the sides of the foot holders and then the dog's feet will go to the middle and they will gently step up onto that, making sure your wheelchair brakes are on, of course. (laughs) or it becomes a moving target. And that allows the dog to get just a little bit closer where they're elevated slightly. And also now their chest is kind of at that person's knees and their head is now able to go to the person's left. So mm-hmm. it's a safe and gentle way of getting a little bit closer because sometimes you may not be able to get to the side or sometimes they can't move to the side or sometimes they can't see to the side. So Knowing your dog's strengths and weaknesses is really important. And also the people that you're working with, find a way to help them have the best experience that they can with your dog when you're visiting. Definitely. Thank you for that. Bubble Stan Sky loved your story you shared, by the way. And Snow said that you're just full of really good advice. I could go on for days. I bet you could. And I would love to hear it. Where can people find you and Tanner if they want to follow your journey or the work that you're doing? Absolutely. So my personal Instagram that Tanner and I work off of is K9, K, the letter K, and then the number nine, dot medic, dot CP. So it stands for K9, medic, and community paramedicine. So that's where I post most of my stuff that we're up to with Tanner. I also have another dog that I get to work with who's also equally amazing. And his name is Ruger. So I'm really fortunate to have two awesome dogs to work with. And that's where you can find us. My literacy organization is under pages.pens.pos. And so those are the two places that you can best find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Absolutely. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'd love to meet up another time. All right. Sounds good.
Have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.